How's it going, my friends? My name is Ricky Senpai, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Nijin's Lifestyle Podcast. Today's episode is going to be about the cultural phenomenon that is Game of Thrones. Everyone knows that this is the last episode of the season and also for the show. So I feel and I feel obliged as a stalwart fan of the show that I should be giving Game of Thrones its justice because I know the Game of Thrones for a lot of people was the show that they've been looking forward to every year. And I know it's it's a really big thing and it's a really hard thing for a show that's going on since 2011, a really long show that's been running on air to still hold the fans that they've had from the very first season. So this is my tribute to the show that I think, well, in my opinion, is the greatest show ever created um, on earth. If you, if, if you want to disagree with me, feel free to let us know through our Instagram, let us know through our Facebook and our Twitter. Come at me, bro. Because I'm telling you right now that if you're going to try and measure any other show up to the standard that Game of Thrones were, not only through production-wise and just the sheer scale that it almost felt like a movie, the quality of production that it was, nothing even comes close. But, you know, let's get on to the meat of the show and let me... Let me bless your ears with some of my sweet sounding voice. So to get on with um, the show, Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 6, in my opinion, well, this is my opinion. In my opinion, probably had, you know, in my opinion, the best episode out of Season 8. And before you shoot me, I do want to let you know that the reason why I think it was is because compared to the other episodes, I felt this one had the best pacing out of, you know, out of the five other episodes. I felt the other five episodes, they were really kind of rushed, really rushed. But this episode here, episode six was, I felt the pacing was well put together. I kind of felt the transitions were done well. Um, really strong performances from the cast overall. And I mean, I think Tyrion kind of stole, really stole the show. His acting when he did, um, after walking through King's Landing, walking towards the Red Keep to find his brother Jamie, that scene there is really powerful, you know. And I think acting-wise, he stole the show, and it's it's just a credit to the character that um, Tyrion is, you know, and the actor that played him, uh, Peter Dinklage, did a really really good job to emphasize not only the pain of the people that you know that i think disagreed with what daenerys was doing but also to voice himself in a manner that he opposed daenerys and everything that you know that she'd done so opening remarks on the show you know breaks off to a beautiful scene with Tyrion. i think is uh, beautiful in my opinion because it captures the destruction of daenerys and just the you know just what she'd done and how she destroyed king's landing so you you see Tyrion just walking through the rubble you know walking through the gates of the you know the towards the red keep and it's just, just destruction everywhere you know you get this beautiful shot where you see this man who's half concussed you know just half burnt body just walking and just wailing on the side and Tyrion walks past like a soldier who's in distraught and just crying and bawling his eyes out and to see you know just to see the destruction that Daenerys caused it was that was a beautiful shot because you did not you did not need to say anything. You just needed to have music and just beautiful shots, you know, of the of the landscape to show you really the destruction that's happened. And to see, you know, the emotion in Tyrion's eyes, you know, it's it it caught me. It really caught me as well because at the same time, knowing that it's the last episode of the season, 
But to see Tyrion really tear up and knowing that the queen that, you know, that they all believed in, the queen that he thought was different, not a tyrant, but someone who could bring, you know, the the justice who can run you know who can rule the world you know through good leadership and stuff she wasn't she Daenerys turned into the mad king like her father and her sense of justice you know was that she was the right you know that she was you know she was the guiding compass of morals that she was so I think that's why you know Tyrion really disagreed because I think if she really did think that she was going to break the wheel I don't think that she should have burnt down half of King's Landing. I mean, come on, like you're going to destroy half of King's Landing, destroy innocent people. I mean, of course, you're still with supporters who believed in you when when Daenerys was still out in Essos, you know, and she was, you know, and she broke, you know, they broke the Unsullied Free and, you know, she was liberating people. And that's the Daenerys that everyone believed in. But to see Daenerys the way she was, I think it was really brave of Tyrion going against you know his very his very love that he even stated that he loved Daenerys even going against the love that he had for his queen you know that was really a tough thing for him so I guess the breaking point was when he did finally reach underneath the red keep and they f and you know I think it was a red keep yeah underneath the red keep and they seen that Jamie was dead in the rubble with Cersei and, to, and you know I think that kind of made it real for him just there and then you know the depravity of what you know what just going what what happened so I really do think that Peter Dinklage did really play a really really good role in bringing the role of Tyrion to life because I don't think of any other dwarf actor no offense to any dwarves out there that you could beat Peter Dinklage and his beautiful 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 acting in this episode Moving on to the, you know, to Daenerys' opening scene. Man, that was who the visual director or the creative director who thought of that, you know, who thought of the way to, you know, to bring Daenerys into this last into this last episode did a really marvelous job. You know, it takes this beautiful panning shot overhead where you see the unsullied and you see the Dothraki. And so what seems to be the rubble of stairs leading up towards, um, I think, towards the Red Keep. And as it's take this beautiful, powerful shot, you see Drogon encircling the air and he's flying over and he's just screeching and crying from the top of his lungs, you know, in victory. It's a beautiful, beautiful shot because you and it's I love the eeriness, the darkness almost because it, it kind of portrays, you know, the aftermath of war and the spoils of victory goes to those who fight, you know, and as, as the words of um, the Targaryens, you know, fire and blood. So that was kind of, that is really reminiscent of who the Targaryens were and their lineage and who they were. So that shot of Drogon flying over the soldiers and the Dothraki, the Unsullied and stuff, and then you see Daenerys' walk out to greet them from the very top of the stairs. And it's got this beautiful arcing shot where you see Drogon extend his wings and you've got Danny just right in the middle of the shot. And it almost looks like that Danny has wings, you know, but the wings are like these black daunting you know horrid wings you know of, of, of i think just portraying of who the targaryens were who you know their bloodlust is you know unrivaled you know and their conquest for domination which is how aegon targaryen you know ruled the seven kingdoms you know for him to forge um his seat of power he did have to kill a lot of people through fire and blood so to get that shot with daenerys i think that was a brilliant brilliant way of giving a subtle message of who she was and who she was becoming because 
I know everyone agrees that Daenerys has just, you know, totally turned into a big heel. You know, she turned into someone that no one would have seen coming from the episodes of one all the way through to season eight. So, you know, to see that shot, you know, I think that was a marvelous shot, you know, and that's only a credit to D&D's, um, I think, creative directive in that shot. But, you know, that's not to disregard the bad writing that season eight was, you know, they did really do a good job when it came to production wise, when it came to picking the right shots to portray the character and to also not really, in my opinion, you know, not really stray away from the story of Game of Thrones and what they were wanting to do. But, you know, I for some reason, me, I'm a visual guy. And when I see these visual nuances and to see the way that's been projected on the screen and on TV, it gives me a bit of a high because you can kind of see that they did take some time, you know, to, you know, for them to take some time for them to actually produce something that's worthy of watching. So I think this was a fitting way to show Daenerys and the way that she's kind of transitioned into the character that I think that she was. Leading into, I think, what is, I think, I think a lot of people did kind of dictate or see this coming you know a lot of theories fan theories and a lot of people did think that john will be the one to end daenerys and in my way and, and in a way i didn't think it was going to end like that i thought the other way i thought that daenerys was going to kill john and that was the bittersweet ending that um george R. R. martin was you know letting his uh, letting the fans know but it does come somewhat of a surprise because you see Daenerys, you know, as she's walking up to the throne and the room is entirely shattered. The room is, is broken. The room this the room is pretty much it's in shambles. But that is kind of to go back to a prophecy that she's seen in a prior season where she, you know, she dreamt that she was walking in towards um walking towards a throne and it was ice and there was snow snowing in because the roof have just uh, the roof has just totally been destroyed and she's walking up to the throne and before she goes to touch it the dream finishes but it's symbolic in that meaning so to see the final episode you know reach back to that you know i think was marvelous because if you if you're a fan and you do appreciate um you do appreciate the connections between the seasons to see that shot and to see that scene you know made me appreciate watching you know watching the other episodes in the other seasons so she's walking up towards it and she doesn't you know but this time she touches the iron throne in this episode she touches iron throne and i think the reality of where she's come or where she or where she, or the journey that she's taken you know when she was a young a really young young woman i think she was 14 14 or 15 um in the show when she gets married to Khal drogo and i mean who could remember <laughs> who could remember those epic scenes you know i mean uh <laughs> I think Carl Drogo was probably, well, he was my favorite character in season one, but to see, you know, to see Danny and the way that Carl Drogo was so primitive in the way, you know, he treated her and to see Khaleesi when she finally snaps at her brother Viserys, you finally snaps and hits him and tells him that, you know, do not touch me anymore. I'm the Khaleesi of, you know, I'm the Khaleesi of the Khal Drogo and I'm going to have a son that's going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to rule the world, you know, just to see that transition, and you can kind of tell then that she was a fiery character, that the inner Targaryen was was in her, you know. So, I mean, I hate Viserys, man. That guy, he was a bit of a bastard, that show, because it's, it's like they know how to choose, you know, the most pompous, most 
stock up people to play those roles, you know, and, and that's just a credit to good acting because I know the person is not like that, but the acting, I mean, it was just brilliant. And I think a lot of the actors were theater actors as well. So they bring that, that high degree, you know, the hype degree and pedigree of acting to the show. So to see Khaleesi and to see Daenerys grow from when she was season one, um, as a young Khaleesi to where she was now walking up to the throne to, to almost to touching it, sorry, just speaks volumes of the character that she was and to see the transition, which is why a lot of people are really upset at the way the show turned or the way the show, you know, just the way it ended. But that's just a credit to, I mean, D&D is awesome writing from season one to season four. Season one and season four, like I said, the last episode was some of the best writing ever in television season one season four was brilliant the political wars you know the political etiquettes the the way that you had to get underneath someone's skin and there were spies you couldn't trust anyone in king's landing that was some brilliant television and dnd did really well in being able to capture that you know because this is based on the war of the roses and it's a war of the roses is a historical war that happened in england i think between the lancasters and and the house of york and they were warring between the crown and i think that's where george Armand took inspiration for him to write game of uh, to write a song ice and fire so pardon me so you know to carry on to the subject of what daenerys was and john during that thing you know that scene john embraces Daenerys and tells Daenerys you're my queen you know that nothing else matters that no matter what happens you're my queen and I think Daenerys feels that trust from Jon and then John, Daenerys tells Jon that you know let's do this thing together let's break the wheel together and we'll go on and just you know liberating people but her idea of liberating was just different to what John was seeing you know and John being the honorable person and I think being honorable is a really hard thing to do in Westeros because being honorable you're gonna have a lot of tough decisions to make so for John to be honorable and to remember the words of Amon Targaryen and Amon Targaryen was the maester down at the wall of um the night's watch and there was there was a touching there was a touching scene where Amon was Targaryen was trying to tell John um you know for him to whether or not to choose his brothers of the night's watch or to leave the night's watch because he was wanting to leave the night's watch to go and help out his brother rob rob stark who was marching on king's landing after the death of ned and one of amon's words really stuck with john and that was um love is the death of duty and i think that 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 really really intertwines to who john's character is because John has always been an honorable guy. He's been the guy who's been stalwart, not only in his his duty to the realm, but also to the person he is. You know, this guy, he can't lie. Him lying is, is so hard for him to do because he's such an honorable guy, which which they are quite hard to find in the world of Game of Thrones. So with John battling himself with the duty that he has to the realm, you know, he was really in love with Daenerys Targaryen. You could tell in his eyes from that scene that he really loved her. And even though it was, you know, a kind of a hard decision for him to make, or probably one of the hardest decisions for him to make, he always cared about the well-being of the entire realm, you know? And that's that's what grips me about John is because people do not care about John. They don't care about his happiness. They don't care who John was. But John putting himself out there for the people and caring for the people this was this is definitely one of the hardest things for him to do and you could tell in his eyes so when they were caressing and you know embracing each other and giving themselves you know a, a passionate kiss he stabs the nearest 
And when he stabs Daenerys, I didn't know whether or not to be excited or whether or not to be happy or blown away like in like the last episode when didn't when you know Drogon just destroyed the entire the entire King's Landing. I didn't get the same reaction. For some reason, I felt a little bit uneasy, but kind of happy. You know, like it's kind of like a situation where it's kind of like a situation where you're having a coffee, right? You're really you're you're having a coffee, right? And you ask for the coffee nice and hot, and then the coffee comes, and it's it's kind of lukewarm, and you don't know whether or not to enjoy it and say it's good or that that does not make sense at all. But it's the feeling that I got was like a lukewarm feeling because I couldn't dissect what John was thinking or what Daenerys was thinking because I I think to Daenerys it came as a bit of a shock, you know, like. The, out of the, out of out of the out of the last few things you she thought that John would have done was kill her, so yeah, and I think it really did kind of hit Daenerys, and you could tell in her eyes, you know, she felt the betrayal from John, but John, and his conviction, you know, he had to do what was right for the realm because Daenerys was a mad queen, and her, her she vindicated herself by saying that she was the only person that was right in the world, that there needed to be a guiding compass, and she was that, and she was, and that was her will to be the righteous truth in the world but you know john just could not take the fact that she could murder countless of innocent people to achieve that and you know and it was kind of that that goes back to reminiscent to what daenerys said on her opening scene when she walks out to greet um you know to greet the to greet her armies when they when they finish beating um cersei and they're standing in the first opening scene of daenerys and she says the speech that's that I think is a speech that I think she also gave as well when she was with Khal Drogo inside, you know, their little, uh, not their hut, but kind of like the gathering area in season one. And Khal Drogo is going on this rant where he's just saying that the son, his son will rule the seven kingdoms and he will, he will get over the, the big sea to Westeros and he's going to kill all the guys in their iron suits and their iron armor and he and Khaleesi will rule the seven kingdoms you know and that was the dream so that's kind of reminiscent of the speech that she gave the opening scene to um you know to the Dothraki and the Unsullied and when she told them that thank you for fighting this wars you've helped me win the seven kingdoms and it was my dream to come here and you guys helped me kill these men in iron suits and that's similar to what Khal Drogo had said and it's 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 really like I said, it's really good to see the writers reach back in to the depository and kind of bring back, you know, the small, like I said, the small things that made um, season one to four really, really great. So to bring back that speech and for, for Daenerys to kind of recite it again was a bit of fan service for the fans who really do enjoy it. So, you know, to see, to see John, to see the way that he reacted to that speech as well, you know, was... I think John was just standing there and thinking to himself, like, why did I do this? Why did I get myself involved with this mad, crazy woman? Because you don't think Daenerys was like that. You know, you didn't think Daenerys was like that in, episode, in season seven. And to me, season seven, after the episodes of, uh, after the season one of four, was, which was brilliant television, I think season seven was one of, was my favorite season, I of my favorite season of the latest seasons, because it was just, I think it was just wild, hold out and the pacing was so good but by the time it got to season eight everything was rushed so i think it did such a disservice to what season seven was building i, th I they just dropped the ball dnd just dropped the ball with season eight but referring going back to uh what we were talking about and to see john and to see daenerys in that scene you know you could tell that 
everything that they were planning and they were wanting to do just went out the window. But I do give credit to John for him showing the bravery and also the coverage, the coverage, the courage, to show the courage to, you know, take that stance because if no one else was to speak for the people, John was going to have to do it once again for people that did not care about him. They honestly did not care about him. Moving on to, I think, what is a beautiful shot, and that was almost like a council of Westerosian lords and houses and kings. And they go to the shot, turns to the pit, you know, to the dragon pit where you've got this massive marquee that's just, you know, overshadowing in the center of the pit. And you've got the different houses there. You know, you've got House Tully there. You've got House of Stark. You know, you've got House... You got you got House Tali, which uh, I think Sam sits there since Randall Tali and his 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 son was was put it was burnt to pieces by Daenerys, you know. And you've got the different houses. You have got the House Martell there. You've got um, House Greyjoy, and you've got all the different houses there. And I like that shot showing showing the lords all sitting there um, next to each other because it's not the old lords but you see all the different you know the different the younger lords finally take their place here you've got like sansa there you've got Edmo of T house tully you've also got um yara greyjoy sitting there the the house of greyjoy and you've got this there's, there's an unnamed or unknown prince there that's sitting there for house martel and you can't see the i think you've got like a different um smaller houses there too from the westerlands i think and some from how high garden that um i'm not too familiar i haven't seen them or there has been now i don't recognize the sigil but to see that shot you know was awesome because you've you've kind of finally seen i think this is one of the first times in a while that you've got um every single lord from all the major from all the major regions of you know westeros from high garden you know up to the north you was up to the north you also some some from the westerlands also from the Vale. so to see them all kind of cooped up there and all all of them sitting next to each other after the aftermath, after the aftermath of the word, after the aftermath of destruction, it was awesome to see. And this is where I think that Tyrion does a brilliant job. But before that, please let me have a sip of coffee. To see Tyrion, to see Tyrion and see Peter Dinklage give this performance of a lifetime was awesome, you know to see him come out because Grey Worm brings him out in front of the council and basically at this point they're deciding whether or not whether whether or not they're going to be um giving justice for the murder of Daenerys because Jon was kept in a dungeon and I know the Unsullied and especially Grey Worm was really 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 upset and really wanted to kill Jon for what they did to their queen so when Grey, when Grey Worm brings out Tyrion and Tyrion and they're both standing in front of the council, I'm thinking to myself, man, what what are they going to discuss? What are they going to discuss? And I'm sitting there looking at Tyrion and I'm seeing the way Tyrion is kind of reacting back and forth, um, you know, with the lords. You can see in his eyes that he's had enough. He just does, he's tired of the war and he's wanted everything to just end. So I think at that point, Tyrion accepted his fate. So when Tyrion is sitting, uh, standing there, sorry, and his change, he gives this marvelous speech to the houses because the houses at this point, you know, are warring, um, uh, are warring in words, not warring in, in in physical terms, but warring in words of who should be the king. Because now that John, now that John is, now that John is imprisoned, they couldn't come to an agreement of how to move forward with this. So, you know, Grey, uh, Grey Worm wants to kill, pretty much kill John. 
but the council, you know, especially Sansa was like, hell no, nah, you, you ain't killing him. I've, I've got thousands of Northmen out there who are willing to fight to save John because there's no way in the blue moon that I think Sansa would have let uh, Grey Room kill John because John was pretty much, John saved the kingdom. What John done, and that's what no one else will ever know that's already died or, you know, people that are still alive in Westeros is that John basically saved the Seven Kingdoms. So to see that reaction from Sansa was good because I, I think Sansa did always know that John was an honorable man and John had to do what needed to be done. So to see them having their war words amongst the council, they weren't really sure of who was going to be king, um, you know, to move on, you know, the Six Kingdoms, because, yeah, if you didn't already know, the Seven Kingdoms is an afterthought because how stark Sansa does not want to be part of, you know, of the Seven Kingdoms. So they're warring between themselves and words. And then this is when Tyrion takes over. And then Tyrion gives this marvelous speech and story about stories. You know, his 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 first his first ever his first ever line or going through was talking about how powerful, how much more powerful stories are. And he gave this beautiful story about Westeros is going through so much war and they they need someone to take over and need someone someone who's not so much of the power hungry wanting to rule everything but someone with much more stability and thinking and 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 thought and this is the this this is the kicker he recommended bran after the marvelous speech and marvelous acting from peter dinklage he chose bran and it was brilliant i think at that time i i, I don't have any any gripes with it because i feel that bran's character of who he was at that point you know who he was the raven and and Tyrion talks about him knowing our past knowing our past was knowing our present knowing everything around him that he should be the one leading that he's should be the king but the thing is Bran didn't want it but Tyrion insisted because he as a raven knows everything and knows pretty much knows, knows the goings of Westeros from now until now until later so i think it was i didn't know how to react to it too much because i was thinking all right but will they make sansa cool will sansa become the queen of the seven kingdoms or what's going to happen so i really did like i didn't know how to react still till now i still don't know how to feel about bran taking over but i i know that bran bran was probably the best choice out of amongst those leaders and amongst those men because bran like i said he is kind of like a super maester, you know. He he knows everything, you know. He knows the past, the history, and also the present. And kind of, I think having someone like him with his temperance is, I think, what Westeros needs. You know, not someone who is is after their own ego. You know, who's after you know power and, and supreme dominance. I think he has such a such a good way of just pulling away from from his wants and needs and actually just speaking out the truth you know and like i said the person who says less is usually the one who has the best thing to say and that's what i think I, did i just create that i just make that saying up <laughs> and that's why i think that brand was the best option you know maybe disagree with me but i think brand was the best option in this situation i still think john should have been you know the the ultimate you know should have taken over as the king of Westeros but I know John didn't want it John did not want it he wanted to go up north and, and live with the free folk and just be free of all you know because the man was going through anxieties he was going through his own battles but to get that thrown up uh, up to him you know he's just lost one uh, probably the, another love of his life because the last woman that John was committed to was Egret, and that was many seasons ago and he was heartbroken from that relationship so you know, I mean, I think the man was just going through bouts of depression, so he just wanted to get away from the politics of, you know, the Westerosian people. So 
Disagree on me or not, I think that Bran is the best choice. I really do think Bran is the best choice. And whether or not George R. R. Martin had a had a hand in this ending, I still think that Bran is the best choice. This agree to disagree, okay? This is where this is probably the most upsetting part for me in the entire, you know, in the entire episode. And I really did not think that John deserved to be sent to the war because at this point, Grey Worm didn't want John alive, but they had to come. There needed to be some discussion amongst Bran and you know and the Lords about you know where John was going to go. And I think the only option was that if <clears throat> if Grey Worm didn't get his his justice of killing John, was to send him somewhere where he couldn't obtain titles, obtain lands, obtain pretty much anything. Because I know Grey Worm and the Unsullied was willing to go to war again just <clears throat> to see their justice. So. I think the option of sending John to the wall, I think, for writing purposes was a really poor choice. But it kind of imitates where John wanted to go or what John wanted to do. Because I know John wanted to live amongst the free folk and live a free life with Ygritte and just, you know, be just free, you know, of any rule. So I think in a way, John did kind of accept his, his fate in that, in that kind of respect. But... I still think John should have been treated this way. I mean, it's a bittersweet. I think that is bittersweet in my opinion. But to see John get treated that way and for him to get sent, you know, to sent to the wall, I mean, to become part of the Night's Watch. I mean, what what is the night what is the Night's Watch now? I mean, the Night's Watch now is was was only created so they can protect the realms of men from, you know, from impunity and from the supernatural. And I mean, now the Night King's dead. I mean, is he dead? Is the Night King dead? I mean, there's so many fan theories that the Night, the Night King's not dead. But this, the Night King and the White Walkers and that are pretty much dead. So I don't see the need to, you know, to still keep the Night's Watch. I think that's just a poor, pathetic excuse to send murderers and thieves and rapists and, and non, you know, non-compliant um, people to the war, you know, as punishment. I, I think that should be taken down. The war should be completely destroyed and, like, remade again. But... You know, that wall is made of magic, so good luck to all the swords and cannons that are going to be trying to take that down. But I still think them sending John to the wall to go live a life there, and I mean, I I just, I, I cannot accept it. I think that John should have, I think John should have been given, I mean, because Grey Room is so stupid. How, how do you think Grey Room is going to think that John is honoring that? Because John basically just went past the wall and just walked with you know walk with uh the wildlings off into the north of the north and you know you could have just said that to grow him but you know other than that just kind of giving him another role maybe the role that i think should have suited john was that you know you send john to the wall for him to kind of uh, reinstate the power and, and and the order that was the night's watch because the night's watch as much as you guys probably don't believe, but the history of the Night's Watch, they were like an honorable group of men who were well-trained and, you know, they were well-trained and well-respected by all because their job at the time was to keep men safe from, you know, from the supernatural. And they were like a, they were an order that was, that was, they had their own glory and they were seen as these men who were honorable. So I think they should have, and I'm not, not up till now where they started sending like thieves and slavers and all of that one, all the worst of the worst there to become nice watch. But I think they should have sent John there and made John kind of like a, like a, 
like an ambassador and a commissioner to rebuild Night's Watch, to rebuild, you know, that, that brand that they were, the honor that they had, and kind of like, re, you know, remake them into the into the protectors of the people and just get ready just in case something else happens. But they just send John onto the wall without really caring what's going to happen, and John just marches off with the wildlings with Tormund, Giant Spain, and, I mean, Tormund is... is <laughs> Tolman is such comedic relief and I, it was a shame that I get to see him in this in this final episode say something snarky and you know funny but that I just didn't disagree with the way they treated John in this and the best scene I mean agree to disagree but I think the very best 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 scene in this episode was Jon Snow finally finally giving recognition to Ghost and finally <laughs> <sighs> let me drink, let me have a sip of my coffee. And to see the way Ghost was treated last episode, man, I was, the, the prior prior few episodes, I was so upset. I could have punched John in the throat because I am a bit of an animal lover. And to see Ghost being treated like that and finally getting the justice, because I mean, it became like an internet sensation and a bit of a meme that Ghost was getting, that people felt that Ghost should have been treated this way. You know, Ghost is such an iconic... It's such an iconic um, cast member in, in his own right, you know, from the very first shot where you see Ghost being picked up um, after after Eddard Stark and the Stark, you know, after they, they after they, who, I forgot who did they murder. After, yeah, after they, after no, I say they murder, after they had to dice off someone's head um, who escaped from the Night's Watch and they're on their way home and they stumble across a, they stumble across a dead stag and then they look down to where the extremes are and they see a dead direwolf there with with, pup, with puppies there next to a and it's got like a stag's horn that was stuck into rammed into the old direwolf and you've got these five little cute direwolves you know they were going to be killed but john stopped them and said you know you've got five kids why don't you take um you know why don't you take a direwolf for each because it is the sigil of house stark so and then they're about to walk off and then john and picked up the runt of the litter and that was ghost and you know that's where you know that's where the legend of ghost grows and he's just all over the place clutching it even therefore john when john gets stabbed by the night's watch gets killed by the night's watch and the one of the few ones that was there by his side throughout the whole entire time was ghost you know to, so to finally see that scene with john in the end finally gives us that damn pet that we wanted you know just to pet him and 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 just give him and caress him you know you know, they, they gave me so much, uh, so much validation because I was, that's the one knock I had against John. But to finally, John, you, you needed to give Ghost his, his, his pet because this guy's been with you through those entire, you know, through those entire seasons. So please, please, next time, if you're going to have a pet, man, look after him properly. Or else I will come and take off that pet and I'll look after him for you. And to move on to our ending scenes, our ending scenes, I think for us to kind of get um a grasp of where everyone was going and how everyone or how this episode was going to end i did i didn't see sansa becoming um becoming you know the queen of the independent kingdom of the north because the north is much 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 bigger than the entire kingdoms to the south and the west and the east is much much bigger than those combined so i think when sansa had said during the council during the council and they're all sitting around amongst each other um, figuring out who should be king and Sansa said that too many Northmen have died and too many Northmen have given their lives for us to be ruled by another tyrannical king but I don't get why because Bran is pretty much a brother I mean Bran is not gonna 
you know, Brian doesn't want to raise like an armada of people to go and rule the, the North. But to finally see the, the North finally move towards an independent kingdom, because that's what they were wanting to do so much is to be an independent kingdom like they were for so many for thousands of years until Aegon Targaryen came and just destroyed that. But, you know, I didn't see I didn't envision Sansa taking off the kingdom. I was kind of hoping I was kind of hoping that someone like Bran was would have taken over because he's got the temperance for it. But with all credit given to Sansa, you know, Sansa did pick up, you know, the political etiquette and also the savviness and the wit of who, of kind of who Cersei was. I kind of feel that she idolized the style of, of rule that Sansa, um, that the Cersei was and what she, well, you know, what she portrayed as, as the queen. I think Sansa took notes from that and took credit from it. And you can kind of see in the way that she reacts, the way that she talks, her her niftiness to talk back and, and give um, good reasonings behind why um, she thinks a certain way. I think that was learned from Cersei and the way that um, she handles herself. You kind of get this Cersei light because you, you, you get a shot of the crown on her head and it's 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 much, much similar to the you know to the crown that Cersei wore and to see her coronation where she gets this this awesome looking breastplate that's kind of made up of like um I don't know maybe that's some sort of steel or iron and then it, it pans down to a shot of her of her skirt that goes all the way down and it's a skirt that's got um it's got red um it's got red leaves and I think that's an imitation of that's in reverent uh, reverence to the god's wood tree which are the um gods of of the north and it's I think it just shows kind of maturity it shows who she is now and and what she wants to do for the north so I, in the, in that respect I think Sansa did end up um playing a good part in it and, and maybe I think Sansa does have temperance that's just me being um, in denial because I really think that that John should have been you know the king of the seven kingdoms and I and I still think Bran should have taken over because he has the temperance but hey maybe you need someone who's a little bit tougher like um, Cersei to rule the north and hey I'm happy it's a Stark in there that's ruling the north and it's not you know it's not House Bolton and it's not House Karstark or or any of the other houses I think Stark belongs as the rightful ruler of the kingdom of the north moving on to the council part you know the the ending shot of the council when you get the hand of the king and then you see Tyrion sitting there and I think it's a funny scene where Tyrion jumps off his chair and he starts repositioning the chairs and putting it back it's real reminiscent of when Tywin on Lannister his father was hand of the king and there's a shot where they're sitting amongst the, the council and he goes up to grab the chair and he instead of just lifting it up and bringing it over to the other side we wanted to sit he slowly drags it and it makes this this kind of uh, comedic almost funny sound while um T Taiwan is sitting there with his um Taiwan is sitting there with uh you know the master of ships and the master of coin is sitting there with Cersei as well it's, it's, it's so comedic in that sense so to kind of see them kind of bring that back in a way you know like I said long time watchers of the shows will appreciate that scene and to kind of see him sit there and then you've got um I'm not too sure what they've got the shot of Bronn and Bronn is the lord of High Garden and he has his own lands and I think I don't know. Maybe I don't want Bron there. I I think Bron should have had a, a house of, of of lesser standing. Maybe like a house somewhere amongst, um, you know, a house somewhere you know, in the Riverlands. But I don't think he should have been given High Garden because High Garden is High Garden is pretty much the I think it's gonna be the economy of um of the six kingdoms now because it's not seven anymore because the house the north is not there anymore but it's gonna i think it's gonna be the powerhouse that's gonna feed because essentially high garden was their crops and what they were producing you know was 
pretty much how, you know, the Kenyans were eating at that time, you know, because the Lannister gold mines have apparently dried out. So to get to give Bronn that, and I know maybe it's just a bit of fan service to get Bronn what he finally wants, but to see Bronn sitting there, I don't think Bronn should have been there, but you know, for comedic sense and fan purposes, I think that that was probably a smart move to have Brondin, given what he finally deserves. And to, um, to see Sir Davos, Sir Davos, I mean, Sir Davos got like a pretty strong Scottish accent. I think that's the accent they were trying to go with. But you got Sir Davos there as well. And then you've got um, Brienne, Brienne of Tar finally being uh, given um, the role of uh, the big boss of the... You know the big boss of the king's guard, which I think is is brilliant because I really think Brienne of Tarth is is as as was a really good character. Her development was really good, not as much as Jamie Lannister. I think Jamie Lannister has the best out of all of them, but to kind of see Brienne kind of finally get her 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 due was awesome. You know, and to see them all just sit there and laugh and joke around and talking about where the money should be spent and 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 um and what's his arm. And, and to see them just connect with each other in that way, I think is to show that, you know, there is a bit of lightheartedness at the end of it, you know. And I think to Brown's real small remark that he was, instead of wanting to build ships, he was wanting to uh, build the brothels again because everyone knows that Brown is a bit of a brothel guy himself. So, you know, they're, they're, those are the, I like those comedic touches to the council, you know, because it's finally the war is over. They can kind of enjoy themselves and kind of just start to regrow and start to rebuild King's Landing and the entire Westerosian kingdom, which was awesome to see. And it's. I think the sad. The sad thing is, is that I didn't want to see Arya leave just yet. But I think that's. I think Arya wanted to leave to go and explore the rest of the known world because there's a there's a scene which I think where she's in Bravos. She's in Bravos, and this is when the faces are trying to kill her. They're chasing. I think it's the faces. They're trying to kill her, and she ends up. Um, she ends up at. Uh, I, I don't know who the woman is, but a, a woman saves her in that scene and they they she's recovering in the house and then she's about to leave and the woman's asking her well, where you're gonna leave where you're gonna go to and she tells them that she she knows that she knows that Essos is east of east and she knows that Westeros is west but where but is there anything beyond the west of the west so that's that that's the awesome thing to see is that them tying that back right back to that um season to that episode into that particular scene to you know they didn't kind of veer away from what their what their predictions were and what their what the characters wanting to do in those prior seasons but to see them tie it down to that and to bring it back to where she you know she pretty much tells Sansa that's where she wants to go was pretty cool you know and the weird thing is I've never seen a stock boat you know that the stock boat that she had was built with um a direwolf head at the front end and a big sail with the direwolves at the front end you know Stark, the Starks are not known as, uh, you know, as particular good sailors of the sea. That's more so the forte of House Greyjoy. But it was kind of cool to see that come into come into the shot and to see, um, you know, the big sail or the big flag of, you know, the House of Stark, you know, roaring amongst the sea. Which finally leads me to my ending remarks. My ending remarks on the episode. If there's anything that I missed, I do apologize. You know, I didn't I didn't really want to just yamble on because I know you guys, you know, I know you guys have your own lives to attend to. But my final remarks on this is that this season, this season of episode 
the season of episode um, six did I feel really did a good justice to what the end was you know despite the bad writing that season eight was I really felt that this that this this episode was a strong side of olden because the pacing was 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 wild you know it, it led up to really good to really good scenes throughout you know and, and a lot of people would like to especially the new watchers are pretty much saying oh man this is trash especially the people who've binge watched um, the show you know who binge watched it in like the last two three four months or maybe a year to binge watch it i don't think they really get you know they didn't really get the identity of what it was from season one back in 2011 up until now so to see the ending the way it happened you know it's 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 really good to, to you know to take courage because it's a show that's kind of stood on itself and on its own and it has been kind of catalyst for a lot of other shows you know it's stood on its own and it's, it's set a lot of things um it set a lot of goals and really high really set like a high bar for other shows to try and reach because game of thrones and its production is that kind of budget you only have those kind of budgets for movies but game of thrones as a franchise was able you know to grow and grow itself into something that was the biggest show in history the biggest show in history in terms of not only revenue but also the cultural the cultural nuances that it brought to you know to our time like i don't think there's gonna be any other show that is brave enough brave enough to go through what game of thrones done and for them to reach that height you know i am really 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 happy to see them go out this way even though it wasn't that bittersweet in it was a bittersweet ending but i really do appreciate a good show you know because it's, it's hard to please everyone and it's hard to please a lot of the diehard fans you have particular theories you have particular ways of wanting things to end i really did think that game of thrones as a whole when you look at the entirety of what game of thrones was you know i think we can all we can all give the actors you know their own accord and their own pats and give them a pat on their back because they do deserve um, it for all the hard work that they've done, you know, to everyone at HBO, I thank you for everyone's hard work there, to all the crew, all the film, you know, all the televisions, or everyone that was there to help make Game of Thrones and to bring them to screen and for us to get to to see it, and all the actors, thank you so much for your hard work. I thank you everyone that was that was involved in it because you've truly made a series that that's been a big impact in my life, not only in terms of what I could enjoy after work and have a nice cup of coffee too, but everything that came of it, you know, Game of Thrones, a birth podcast, a birth different like episode series. It, it's birthed a lot of things from Game of Thrones, you know, like merchandise and everything was just Game of Thrones was truly a cultural sensation. So I really do thank you um to hbo to dnd and to all the cast and everyone that was involved in game of thrones i really do with a sincere heart thank you so much for everything that you have done it's a series that i will truly miss and it's a series that i will always hold in high regard and will be my favorite series of all time so enough of that without me trying to cry here on uh while i'm recording just let me take another sip of my coffee with me not trying to cry here because it is a bit of an end of a of a of, of a good show dynasty i do apologize for not getting to talk about the other subjects like gaming and also sports you know it's like i said it's good to get this out of my head and out of my mind and say my five cents and game of thrones and i feel maybe i should have said it from the start that it deserved its own podcast episode because it's such a dynamic show a really really good show so i do apologize if you were here for the gaming or here for the sports 
please you know please bear with us you know as we uh go through this because i really really did want to talk about game of thrones and i really do apologize if it didn't get to what you guys are wanting to hear but rest assured our next episode will which will be coming out today's the 20th 21st uh, tomorrow be coming on the 23rd the 23rd um of the 5th 2019 and that's the, that's the New Zealand standard time. If to just to keep you guys um, up to date, is that our next episode will be coming out on the twenty third, and I will let everyone know our topic of discussion will be posted on our Instagram, our Facebook, and also our Twitter as well, and also to keep in touch with us there you know if you do want to follow us and keep up to date with our you know with, with our daily with our daily goings, follow us on um, our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter. And we'll definitely get back to you. Everything is is titled Indonesians Gaming, N E S I A N Z Gaming, and yeah, keep up to date with us there. And if you want to send us a, a nice message, whether you think there's a lot of things that we can help to improve our podcast, please do let us know. And I, Ricky Senpai, will get back to you. I promise you that. But without further ado, I want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode that I just burped. Sorry, I'm drinking this coffee and making me burp. Because um, the funny thing is, I'm on this diet. I'm on this diet, and you know, I'm trying to cleanse the body. You know, I want to cleanse the body, cleanse the mind, because I'm on a bit of a health buzz now. So, <laughs> sorry to distract you in, but without further ado, thank you for joining us. And if you reach this end of the show, you guys are truly other goats. You guys truly are the goats. But thank you again. My name is Ricky Senpai, and stay tuned for the next episode. See you.